are cruising through our series uh, through the first couple of verses of Matthew chapter 5, which is better known as the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, again, uh, that's just another fancy word that it's not listed in that section of Scripture. It's just what they've been called. And the word beatitude is just Latin for the word blessing because Jesus uses the word blessed are or uh, wonderful news. It's wonderful news to all this, all these different groups of people who desperately needed some wonderful news. It, life really for the ones he's describing hadn't gone so wonderful. And if it really, uh, they're usually the ones that get forgotten, left out, or it's just a tough road to hoe. And then so Jesus is laying out this new way of thinking, this new way of living, this new way of, this new perspective changer. And he's offering this wonderful news. That's why we called it the Jesus way, just this walk through these Beatitudes. So here's how we're going to set up today's passage. We're in the fourth one. Um, I'm going to ask you this. What, what have you really hungered for in your life? I mean, maybe it's a it's a juicy steak at some point or a bowl of ice cream, usually about 1030 at night, um, you know, a Snickers bar, a pizza, hamburger. I remember when uh, Janie and I were on vacation last year, you know, we thought we would never get tired of Italian food. And it's like by like day seven, it's like, I just want a hamburger. <laughs> you know, and we're in Rome. It's like, I just want to go somewhere and get a hamburger. And we did. We found one. Um, so... That, that works. Uh, maybe it's broccoli. Okay, maybe not broccoli. But you, you hunger for something, and, but what have you ever really hungered for? Next would be, what have you ever really thirsted for? Maybe it's an ice-cold Coke, right? Or a cup of coffee outside on your deck. Or a vintage Cabernet to go with your juicy steak. Or since we're in Wisconsin, probably a cold brew with some fish fry. You know, so... Uh, Maybe Gatorade after working outside in the heat. But the truth is, we've all hungered and we've all thirsted for something. And then when you receive that something, there's usually this oh, of complete fullness, satisfaction, and joy. All right, so with that in mind, I want us to go to the next beatitude, the next announcement of good news in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, where Jesus says, Blessed are, or I have wonderful news for, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. They will be fully satisfied. So Jesus takes the idea of hunger and thirst and uses it to point to something deeper. Once again, Jesus shows us our need, which is what? We all have this hunger and thirst in our lives. And while there are many things that which we could hunger and thirst for, Jesus zeroes in on the one thing that we should all hunger and thirst for, the one thing we should all have in common in our hunger and thirst. And the one thing that will only truly meet that need, which is the solution. And that solution is, he says, righteousness. And we're going to develop what that means here in just a minute. And then we have the promise, thirdly, the announcement of wonderful news. That anyone who does hunger and who does thirst for the righteousness that Jesus is talking about, you will be fully satisfied. You are not left in a place of hopeless desperation 
this very real need that we all have will be met. All right, so let's start unpacking this with our first point, our need, which is number one. The hunger and thirst are real, but do not settle for unhealthy substitutes and cheap fixes. All right, let me just ask you this. How many of you have been so dehydrated where your body almost could not function, right? You could have been working out. Maybe you were doing yard work or something, and, man, you were just like, you get dizzy. You know, our oldest daughter experienced that with her illness that she had recently. She was hospitalized for. She was on double IVs, and then they said she was so dehydrated, her veins were collapsing. It was just an awful thing. Um, But it took a couple of days of solid fluids to get her back to a place of just normal. And we can be in this state of dehydration where you thirst simply because your body absolutely needs water in order to keep going, in order to keep functioning. See, that's the kind of hunger, that's the kind of thirst that Jesus is talking about, but only on a much deeper level, at the depth of your soul. Because we all suffer from spiritual dehydration. And without the proper response to that dehydration, you will die. It happens physically, and it happens spiritually. And folks, unhealthy substitutes and cheap fixes will not address a problem like that. So so what is the root cause of this hunger and thirst? That might be one of our our basic questions we should ask here. Well, then, then what's the cause of this? Well, fortunately, and I think Jesus did this on purpose, The first three Beatitudes actually tell the story for us as to why we hunger and we thirst. The first one was, he says, we're spiritually bankrupt. Remember, he said, blessed are, wonderful news for those who are spiritually bankrupt because the kingdom of heaven belongs to you. But because of Adam and Eve's sin in Genesis 3, this world is broken and fallen, and we as human beings are broken and fallen. We are spiritually bankrupt. But again, the wonderful news is that in spite of that, the kingdom of God still is yours through Christ. However, because this thing is broken, and because we are still broken, one of the consequences of this is that we live in a world of death and loss and separation and grieving. And Jesus said, blessed or good news for those who mourn, who who have to deal with this this issue that we have to deal with because you will be comforted. That was the good news. But this one is is pretty self-explanatory. And both of these first two are a direct result of living in a broken, fallen world. But again, this promise, this wonderful news is that we will 100% find true comfort. And it starts while we're living in this world, but it is fully realized once Christ returns. However, just just these two alone should create within us a hunger and a thirst for something different, for something to be made right, for this stuff to end. Which leads to the third beatitude, which Jesus says, we have this guaranteed inheritance that is available to you. 
where the meek, the humble, those with the Spirit of God in you who possess those things by His Spirit, by having your life transformed, will actually be the ones to inherit the earth, which she was referring to as new creation. When Jesus comes to set all things right and make all things new, when he brings both judgment and renewal, the promise is a guaranteed promise. And it is yours if you know Jesus. Something we get to look forward to, something we can long for. But Jesus is already probably sensing the tension in the room as he was talking to the, or in the, on the hillside that day, and he goes, yeah, I know, it's, but that's then, I understand, and this is now. So all these three things create this hunger and thirst that Jesus is speaking to. Of which he says, you will be filled. So speaking of this hunger and thirst, Jesus uses two words very strategically. And these two words have the, almost the same overlapping meaning, which is to have a strong desire to attain some goal with the implication of an existing lack to desire strongly. Let's put this into a definition, into more of a, a, a form we can use. Meaning this, then, due to the lack of something life-sustaining in your life, everything about your being, your mind, your body, and your spirit, desires strongly to have that lack and that need. Jesus not only acknowledges that we should feel this way, that it is a natural reaction to how this broken world is and a reaction to a taste of our restoration in comparison to that, the taste of new creation that we get once we embrace Jesus in comparison to the world we're living in, and a longing to see all of this completed. He uses words that emphasize the depth of this longing as a desire to attain a goal. I always found that interesting. Therefore, your life goals, what defines your life mission, your purpose, are to be laser-focused on what will fill that void and meet that need and give you the life-sustaining substance that you absolutely need to keep going. It's a very direct response to a very real need. So, folks, again, we are all thirsty, and we are all hungry. That is our need. However, the temptation is, is to fill our lives with so much junk food that we have the illusion that we're full. We do that physically by eating a lot of junk food consistently over and over again. We do that the same thing spiritually when we fill our lives with so much stuff that we have the illusion that we're full. Hence the warning here. Do not settle for unhealthy substitutes or cheap fixes. Well, let's address what some of those could be. Some of these unhealthy substitutes and cheap fixes come in two primary forms, but I'm sure there's more than this. Addiction is one, and religion is the other. And we know what happens when this is off track, when, when we're out of balance, when your broken sin nature tries to satisfy its own broken desires and cravings, right? It is called addiction. The 
But folks, addiction, if you're just a person in a, in a dry desert and you see something off to the side that looks like water, addiction is just a mirage. It is a lie. And it does not lead to anything life-sustaining. It only hastens our inevitable death. And that addiction can take all kinds of forms, right? Drug addiction, sex addiction, alcohol addiction, power addiction. You can even be addicted to technology. Teenagers today are addicted to their iPhones. There's addictions of all kinds. Anything can become an addiction where you feel like you absolutely need it in order to survive. And you've convinced yourself that you need it in order to survive. And it's a mirage. It's a lie. We were created with a full reservoir of God's Spirit in us and living in a world that was perfect and life-sustaining. But after Adam and Eve's sin corrupted and distorted everything, that full reservoir inside of us is gone. And therefore, we instinctively now have a hunger, a thirst that is normal in a broken world. However, this world in its current state just gives us temporary fixes that only just make matters worse. So addiction is one. But the second form, which is more subtle, but it is also just as deadly, and that is religion. I mean, how many, of you, you, how many of you have ever heard the phrase, you can put makeup on a pig, but at the end of the day, it's still a pig? Right? Well, can I tell you something? That's basically what religion is. Religion is basically just makeup on a pig. <laughs> religion is nothing more than a cosmetic cover-up over the real issue. And it does not quench our real thirst. I mean, you can go to church every week. You can go, go through all the liturgies that your, either your church or your denomination or your religion says you are to do. You can follow all of the rules, even, even the principles in Scripture that are true and valid. And then all the other man-made rules that we've created on our own to kind of make ourselves look more righteous than we really are. You can follow all that stuff, and it is something that not only doesn't quench our real thirst, but it doesn't even address the issue. We continue at the depth of our soul to cry out for something more. Why? Because things are right now far from perfect and religion or addiction are never going to be able to meet those needs. So with that in mind, Jesus says, the one thing you need to hunger and thirst for is the only thing that's going to meet that need, and that is this. Whoops. Righteousness. Did I, get, did I skip over that? Arnie, where am I? <laughs> yes, thank you. I was looking on the second page. I'm like, wait, where did I go? My brain went this way and my eyes didn't go this way. All right. I'm gonna go back for a second if you don't mind. I'm going to reset. Okay, reset. <laughs> yeah, sometimes uh, people get so numb and they feel that that's all that there is. But in the end, again, you just find yourself in a condition that's so much worse than where you started. So the hunger and thirst are real, but do not settle for these unhealthy substitutes or cheap fixes. 
There has to be another way to address this hunger and thirst. Now we're getting into, into point number two. And Jesus is saying it's this, the solution. Stay hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Why? Because the circumstances of this world will continue to dry you out. If you haven't already figured that out by now, already. And we will continue to long for God's perfect, his new creation to come. In other words, this hunger and this thirst isn't an indication that something's wrong with us. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Especially when we've had a taste of the righteousness of Christ that we continue to long for. This kind of thirst should be just natural to someone who has become a follower of Jesus. But again, based upon our definition that Jesus used, it's also a choice with our mind. This strong desire to attain a goal. And this goal is righteousness. Real, true righteousness. Righteousness is the solution to our depth of hunger and thirst. All right. But what is this thing called righteousness? Because we've heard probably a lot about it. If you've been in the church world for any length of time, you've probably heard that word a lot, maybe even used or abused or misused and so on. Well, let's figure out what exactly is righteousness. And as we trace this word throughout the scriptures, we see that righteousness has three primary components. And I'm going to just borrow from one of my favorite scholars. His name is John Stott from England, but... These are the three things that he kind of narrows it down to when it comes to righteousness. It's a legal component, a moral component, and a social component. The first one, legally, righteousness describes the world as it should be from God's perspective. It it refers to God's justice ruling and reigning fully in the world. This legal component also means having a right relationship or a right standing with God. Having peace or shalom between God and humanity. But what often happens, because we're broken and we get things wrong all the time, is that people want to establish their own sense of righteousness, right? Their own definition of what's right and what's wrong. And therefore, their own definitions of justice and how that's supposed to look. And we do that instead of placing ourselves willingly under God's definition, coming back to God on his terms. We want God to operate on our terms. And if we're going to do that, we're going to stay hungry and thirsty in a negative sense and never have that really fulfilled. But if we understand that this is what God is after, this is what we're going to be thirsting and hungering for, that allows ourselves, we can begin to put ourselves in that place. We submit ourselves to this. Paul's letter to the Romans is all about this struggle. And what Jesus is saying is that when we understand our situation, our spiritual bankruptcy, and the losses and the grieving that we continually face, and our own inability to come up with a system of righteousness that can fix any of that, then we should hunger and thirst for the one solution that can. And having our relationship with God legally repaired through Jesus will do that. 
Now, the second component of righteousness is this area of morality, morally, which refers to our right moral conduct and character, purity, holiness, the life that God had in mind for humanity when he created us. It's a standard, yes, we understand that, but it's meant to be more so a way of life, of who we are, based upon the regeneration and the restorative nature of the Spirit within us. This is a way of life that pleases God. So let me make sure that this is abundantly clear here today. Folks, Jesus is not calling you to some kind of external conformity to a moral code of rules. Jesus is not calling you to some external conformity to some moral code of ethics in order to be righteous. No, he is calling you to live out of a new nature, an inner righteousness, given to you by him, and we're going to discuss that in a minute, which gives you the power then to live out a moral conduct and godly character and purity and holiness. And that is what we should long for. When we look at our lives and we take inventory of how we normally think, talk, and act throughout any given day, I tell you, we should have this depth of hunger to say, I want that. I'm so tired of being this way. God, make me more like this. Fill me with more of you so I can be more like this. I hunger and thirst for that. So it's this moral, it is legal, and then we also have this third component, which John Stott says is social. It's how we interact with others. And he, he goes on to say, and I want to do a separate slide for this one. John Stott says, social righteousness is concerned with seeking humanity's liberation from oppression. In other words, we basically have the heart of God for other people. That's what God's heart is for us. And so now it's, now it's our heart for others because of the same thing. And he goes on. Together with the promotion of civil rights, justice in the law courts, integrity in business dealings, honor in your home and in your family affairs. Thus, Christians are committed to hunger for righteousness in the whole human community as something pleasing to a righteous God. In other words, as the church becomes truly a righteous community, as the people within the church community, as followers of Jesus, as we begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness in these three areas, and we begin to walk in this new way, this way of Jesus, that instead of using any of this as some kind of a weapon or a form of bullying or intimidation to try to shame people who are not living righteously, which is not what this is supposed to be, instead we are to be giving a life-giving difference to those around us. See, being the righteous people of God comes with a responsibility to be a source of light, hope, grace, compassion, integrity to those who have no idea what that looks like. To those who have been adversely affected by all the pains in this world. Some of the very pains that you've gone through yourself. So just don't hunger and thirst for this and, and, and for that difference that we're all longing for. 
Jesus is calling us to begin to be the difference in people's lives right now in someone else's life. So may we stay hungry and thirsty for that kind of righteousness. Okay, so we've defined and identified the problem. We kind of know what the solution is. And now we need to look at the pumps. So point number three. Do not try harder. Just receive it and be filled. The hunger and thirst is ours. Right? It is our longing. It is our desire. It is our goal. This need is ours. And the substitutes are our way to try to meet that need on our own, apart from God. But the solution and the promise of that solution of being completely filled and satisfied is provided outside of ourselves. We can't generate it within us, on our own. It is provided by Jesus himself. That's the only way this works. See, Paul reminds us in his letter to the Romans here, therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. This righteousness is given. Really? Yeah. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are freely or justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Righteousness is a gift that is to be received. I want you to get a picture in your mind to see how this would look. Picture someone who is running a marathon race. And then I want you to picture someone on the side standing there waiting for them to pass by so they can hand them a cup of water so they can get just a little bit of something in them to keep going in the race. Something like this. Now, the runner did not make the water. Right? The runner did not make the cup. The runner in his need didn't go, man, I'm really thirsty. I think I'm going to stop running. There's a 7-Eleven over there, and I'm going to go get a nice big, big gulp and meet this need, and then I'll come back and join the race. He didn't try to satisfy that quench by by stopping what he was supposed to be doing and going off and getting something else. No, the, the runner simply received the water that was being handed out while they were running the race. That is the picture that Jesus is trying to give us here. You get dehydrated simply by living in this broken world. And you are not rehydrated through any works of following the Jewish law or any kind of religious rules or liturgy. You cannot just try harder, stop running the race, and go fill yourself up by something else to try to meet this need. We are only spiritually hydrated. Our thirst is quenched as we're running and we reach out to the only thing that's going to actually quench it, something outside of ourselves that's being offered to us as a gift, the gift of righteousness through Christ. That is a promise. That is a promise guaranteed. Paul would write this to the Corinthians. He said that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us 
so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Folks, when you become something, you are basically completely filled with something, right? It is then who you are and what you become. And what is that? We become this righteousness of God as we've defined it just a few moments ago. And it is only in and through Jesus that we get there. So we can only receive it and then begin to live in light of it as a runner would then feel energized after receiving this gift of water and then continuing to run because now they're a little more hydrated than they were before. Just receiving the gift of righteousness of Christ in you. That is the most wonderful news ever. Which is why Jesus says it the way he does. So, so here's what this means here and now. We are this continual work in progress. We know this, this side of eternity. That's why the Apostle Paul reminds us in Ephesians 5.18 that we are to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Guess what? There's not just one person standing out giving water in the marathon. They're scattered throughout different places and different posts along the race. Why? Because one drink isn't going to be enough. They may have gotten plenty of hydration that they needed before the race started, but as they're running the race, the, just by nature of the race, it dehydrates you. And the same thing is in life. We have to be continually, daily filled with the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we have this hope, this future reality that one day, this hunger and this thirst and everything that creates it in our lives, it will one day end. It is going to be a joyful day. We read about these words in Revelation chapter 7 from the Apostle John. He says, because of this, they are before the throne of God and they worship him day and night in his temple. And the one who sits on the throne will be present with them. And look at verse 16. Those people will never be hungry and they will never be thirsty again. The sun will not hurt them and no heat will burn them because the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of water that give life and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Isn't that what we're longing for? Isn't that what we are hungering and thirsting for? But knowing that that one day Jesus says you will be fully that's the day he's speaking of. So that which we are hungering and thirsting for in the fullest sense will one day be how this world really operates again. And the presence of God will fill us completely and totally where we're never going to have to deal with this. But until then, right now, we do. And that's okay. Because he is with us at every step of this journey. He will keep filling you day by day until we get there. That's the promise that Jesus is offering. So stay hungry, stay thirsty for the things of God, not cheap substitutes or cheap fixes. So here's how we're going to close up today. I want us to read a couple of scriptures before we close in the song. And these are from the, the letters of the Psalms that really capture the heart of what Jesus is saying here. Our need, the solution for that need, and the realization of this promise. All right, so I'd like us to stand if you wouldn't mind. I want us to read these aloud together as a prayer. 
And worship team, you could go ahead and come on up and join us if you would. But let's read this first one together, Psalm 63.1. It says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. And then the next one, which is Psalm 42, says, As the deer for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. And then lastly, in Psalm 16, Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. You make known to me the path of life, and you will fill me with joy in your presence. Folks, may these words from Scripture be your heart's cry this morning. And I pray that you will fully realize that you were meant to not just survive this world, but you were meant to thrive in spite of your hunger and thirst. May the power of Jesus in you give you the ability to thrive right now. 